This week on Dynasty Domain, we are going to answer your questions. We have a DD mailbag episode for you today. Uh, we're going to go through and answer all the questions we can in our allotted amount of time. I'm Avery Huffman. I'm here with Nathan Schmidt. Well, hello there. And Simon Denny is on vacation again. Boo. Welcome to Dynasty Domain. All right. Yeah. Simon bailed again. Dude. He didn't even go to Denver. Where did he go? He literally went to Virginia. Russell Wilson isn't there. The commanders are there. Why would? What is in Virginia? Seriously. Dan Snyder, oh, and gosh, and Carson man. Wentz and oh. some uh, some Virginia. There's, well, a, there's a beach there. Yeah, I know. I've, but I've heard like, good things it's about it. I don't. Yeah. Well, whatever you're doing in Virginia, Simon. Hope, hope you're, you're having enjoying fun. it. But we're going to totally just roast you the whole time today like we did last time. We'll Week. go easy. Yeah. Um, let's do a trade scenario of the week. So I have a couple that I, I had sent in to me um, from guys in our leagues, and I know there's one particular one that somebody once covered. Uh, we're going to get to those. We've got plenty of episodes. Um, I wanted to cover the one that went down today in our newest DD startup. Uh, and this is a particularly interesting one because it involved two of the – higher level assets you can trade in fantasy so side a in this trade is going to get josh allen okay obviously you know pretty much going one one in the majority of drafts probably right now uh side b is going to get kyler murray a 23 first and a 23 third so kyler and a 23 so kyler and a 23 first because i i still i do not i genuinely do not understand why when you get to trading these high level fantasy assets these high level dynasty assets we feel the need to throw uh, a 23 fourth in there or you know Mo Alley Cox we'll get to him later but you know it's just throwing those guys like it doesn't matter I mean, you're talking about Kyler and Josh Allen why does a third make it the doesn't difference? make a difference guys so uh Pepe but anyways a 23 first in Kyler for Josh Allen the third does nothing in this trade um I already kind of have an idea of what you're gonna say but I'm just gonna start by saying I don't think um I don't think either side lost this trade. Um, you know, I think if you're t- if you're taking the Kyler Murray side, um, you obviously are going to take at least fairly comparable production. It's not like they're leagues and light years apart in terms of their points per game production. Um, and you're also getting a 23 first. Now, now the big question I think here is what can you get with that 23 first? And the answer is you can get an elite player with the 23 first right now. I mean, you see where they're being valued on places like, you know, keep trade cut and things like that. Yeah. So you can get an elite. So, and, but then with the other side, you're getting, you know, a more, obviously the, probably the better quarterback, uh, probably long-term, the more viable quarterback, uh, probably on a better team and with better offense, probably going to score more this year. So, you know, I don't know. I, I just don't see one certain side winning or losing this trade. What do you think? Yeah, so the team that's giving up Josh Allen is giving up one of the high-end, most guaranteed to play for the foreseeable future for multiple dynasty lifetimes. And with Kyler, who will put up roughly the same production, is less guaranteed. He has, again, like I've said before, he has a little bit of an injury history, and there is no contract there yet. I'm sure it will come. It's yeah, still it not will. there. Um, <clears throat> and Josh Allen, for all, all we can 
see or predict is that Josh Allen will last significantly longer than Kyler will. That would at least be my prediction. The 23 first to replace Josh or, or to make up for the gap between Kyler and Josh Allen is more than enough in my opinion yeah I think um, so too. and the the clearly that 23 first is going to be late if not the very last pick in the first round in 2023 if you're going out there giving up kyler to get a little bit of an upgrade at the quarterback position as knowing that josh allen is all but guaranteed to play every single game next season when you know there is more risk to start kyler week to week than it is to start josh allen um you can pretty much assume that that team who's getting Josh Allen is going to be winning the league or will be top three, top four. So with that 23 first, you're obviously going to get an amazing player with incredible talent. Don't expect to be getting like Bajan Robinson or getting another high-end quarterback like uh, CJ Stroud or Bryce Young. You're going to be getting probably that third, fourth receiver option. Um, That's probably what I'd be looking for. And, you know, I think the um, the economical side of me in Dynasty likes the down tier. That said, I am the guy that just traded into Justin Herbert for Dak Prescott in a first. So, like, I it, it just depends. And I did that because, honestly, number one, uh, I ended up trading into a, a big stack, which was really nice for my team. But number two, I'm a huge Justin Herbert fan. Number three, I thought it was fun. and and But at the same time, I didn't really feel like I was, I was being, you know, I was losing that trade. It was just kind of a trade-off, and you have to kind of decide. I mean, Justin Herbert is yeah, as productive or more productive as Dak and a couple years younger. So, obviously, there's some advantages there, but, you know, production-wise, they're going to be fairly similar. Um, so, like I said, part of me likes the down tier, um, but I get yeah. it. I get the stability with Josh Allen. Like, I get yeah. that argument, too. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not turned off from the idea of accepting the Kyler 23 first side at all. If I were put in that situation, I had Allen, I was offered Kyler in a 23 first my gosh, the the capital I was able to get in return for a 2022 first this past season in A.J. Brown uh, makes me dang excited on the return I can get with the 23 yeah. first next season. That's really, really, really hard to turn down, especially when you're getting little to no week-to-week quarterback production downgrade um, in that respective position, and you're getting a 23 first on top of it. It's a good deal. Yeah. It's a good deal Honestly, for both. and I went on there, and I'm like, I really don't know what side I like, but it's a it's a fun trade. It's a good trade. So uh, one, one to ponder, and if you have any thoughts on it, be sure to, to tag us and tell us what your thoughts are. Um, all right, before we get into the mailbag, we have another weekly segment that we're going to start because we have just been disgusted with how this certain aspect of our favorite fantasy football app has been handled. So our new weekly thing that we're gonna do and we didn't tell simon so he's probably gonna think we're stupid but it was nathan's idea and i think it was a good idea we're gonna give you the stupid sleeper alert of the week because it is every week that sleeper decides and i don't know if they're just trying to hype you up or hype somebody up or get people riled up or get people talking i guess it works if we're talking about it but (laughs) i mean they send some of these stupidest player and coaching updates that i've ever seen in my life like completely 100 percent, utterly useless information and they send it like it's a really big deal yeah so uh today's was just you know they just threw it out there usually usually it's news that's going on and you're like dude this news is so irrelevant and stupid no one cares it's sort of a thing like Chase Claypool said he can be a top three receiver in the NFL. Traylon Burks has asthma. Traylon Burks has asthma. He just left the field. Like, just stop. That's a that's a fact. Well, this is the first, this is the first opinion alert I've ever seen come out. 
from Sleeper before. Um, I saw it today. I had just uh, gone through a bad round of disc golf. I was already in a bad mood. And when I saw this alert, I literally almost threw my phone out the window. It says the uh, Jaguars hiring Doug Peterson as their head coach was arguably the best move the best move made this offseason. Sure, write the column. Trevor wh- Lawrence, 2022 stock, skyrocket. <laughs> okay. Okay, what I was going to say. Sure, write the column. Why does it need to be on my lock screen? Like, for real. I, I don't need... It's That's not... It will turn your notifications off, I guess. But, like, who who are the people at Sleeper who are sitting in a conference room? They're like, I've got it. Let's send out an alert about Doug Peterson <laughs> and then relate it to Trevor Lawrence. Like... It's like they're trying to affect the market values of some of these some of these players with these alerts. It is. It's but the alerts are really stupid, and so we love. But well, it, let's well sleeper obviously obviously sleeper listens to the show. We love sleeper. We love we, sleeper. We sleeper is sleeper. the best. It is the best. But but whoever they hired for their um, alerts notifications department, it, I mean it's a clown show. You know that they're not doing anything all day, and they're just like yeah, throw that one out there. So they learn about Doug Peterson now. Not only this, this is this is fantasy football alerts. This isn't even like like a dynasty That's football not, yeah. alert. This is like Trevor Lawrence twenty twenty two stock up for like <laughs> fantasy production. I, I'm not seeing it here, guys. The the uh, <laughs> hiring process with, with Doug Peterson going to the Jags this season as arguably the best move made. Um <clears throat> I, I don't know if they're talking about the moves that the Jags have made in the offseason or moves in the entire NFL. No, if it's talking the about entire the NFL, that's laughable. They're talking about the Jags. If it's the Jags, okay, let's be honest. The best move the Jags made in the offseason didn't even happen in the offseason. It was in the middle of last season, and that was firing <laughs> Urban Meyer, which was just a train wreck of a situation. And you don't even like Doug Peterson either. I, dude, okay, this, <laughs> oh, is, this is all I'm going to say. <laughs> this is all I'm going to say, which couldn't turn into more, but here's what I'm going to say. I root, I rooted so hard for the Eagles when they played the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And that that was an offensive shootout. And they literally beat Tom Brady's Patriots with Nick Foles. Nick Knowles. Nick Foles. It, it was an offensive shootout. Zach Ertz played out of his mind. It, it was incredible. Do you know who called the plays? This is, this is not me being... A biased Colts fan. This is just truth. Who called the plays? Frank Reich. Frank Reich. What happened to the Eagles when Frank Reich left? They went to pot. They made the playoffs one more year, and they went nine and seven that year. So we went and got their quarterback because they won the NFC least. They they were buns after Frank Reich left. Offensively, they they were a shell of themselves. Doug Peterson. Of course, is an upgrade from Urban Meyer. Literally, any coach in the NFL is an upgrade from Urban Bill Meyer. Bill O'Brien you, is an upgrade from, from Matt Urban Nagy Meyer. is an upgrade from Urban Meyer. It, guys, please, please, we we think overall in Dynasty that Trevor Lawrence is uh, being a bit faded in general, just because people are already assuming that he's a bust when he is like the best prospect quarterback prospect in football since Andrew Luck. Um, The reason is not because of Doug Peterson. It's definitely not. And they also made a lot of other moves in the offseason that that, uh, I would say altogether were kind of like better than the Doug Peterson hire. I personally hated the hire. I think it sucked, but you know, they'll be better than uh, two and two and 15 last year. So yay for them. I mean, they'll beat the Colts twice. So at least they got that going for them. Yeah. All right. Let's get in the mailbag. So you guys sent us our questions. Uh, we appreciate it. There's some really thoughtful questions here. 
Um, I guess I should say thought provoking. Like that was so thoughtful. Hey, Thought, our, thought our first answer was yes. That was a good one. That was me testing the oh. <laughs> testing the form. So I, that is the first uh, question, and the answer is yes. Uh, let's go through these questions. I'm just going to go through the order that's on my screen, Nathan. Um, and we're going to answer these the best we can. So, uh, question number one. And by the way, I don't know who these are coming from. So you hear your question. Shout out to you. Uh, how many players are realistically worth three plus firsts? Is it worth it to overpay for a sure thing like JJ, uh, Jamar Chase, or top QB versus holding on to the picks and taking shots in the draft? This is tricky. This is a this is a loaded question. So let's go to the, let's just the first part of the question. How many players are realistically worth three or more firsts? So let me look at our dynasty domain rankings here. Uh, guys here, quarterbacks worth three or more firsts. I would say Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, Jackson, Murray. Um, Burrow, Prescott. You still played three first for Russell Wilson, right? Three first for Russell Wilson. Yeah, or is that where the cutoff no, is? That's would you pay three is. for Dak? I would be reluctant. I think I would. I think he's worth that. I think he's too. Okay, so we'll say the top seven quarterbacks: Mahomes, Allen, and Herbert, uh, Lamar, Kyler, Joe Burrow, and Dak Prescott. Um, as far as running backs go, who's worth three first? Probably Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor. Um. Yeah, you know what? I don't think I'm paying three first for Najee or DeAndre Swift anymore. I mean, people were saying that, but you we're also taking into account how much twenty three firsts are worth, and they're worth significantly more. Yeah, than this is yeah, first. this is an interesting time in dynasty. Um, more often than not, any other year we'd probably be saying, yeah, pay three first for those they were top worth four guys. They, they absolutely were. So I would say um, twenty three first, John. Not Dale. now. Yeah, yeah. Um, receivers, JJ, Chase. I would pay three first for CD Lamb. I cannot find myself paying anything past that. I mean, you, you, in in my opinion, you can get CD for less than three firsts. You, you can. Easily. I think he's worth three firsts, but I'm with you there. But I think you could get him for two firsts in a second. So yeah, uh, count him as a half point there. Uh, and then tight ends, Kyle Pitts, and that's pretty much <laughs> which I would I would laugh at whoever paid twenty two or three first for Kyle Pitts. Yeah, like but he, just, since he's a first round starter, he is, pick, he he is still worth, worth that. that. Yeah. So, so how many was that? That was seven, eight, eleven, twelve. So there's twelve. There's twelve players in Dynasty. Uh, so, yeah, and uh, that 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 was a good question. Um, so about who's worth three so first. The second part of the question. If you're, if you're drafting, that's enough for each person to have. If they draft right, one player that has is worth three or more yeah. first. Yeah. So the second part of that question is, um, is it worth it to overpay for a sure thing versus holding on to picks and taking shots in the draft? I, I guess it depends on. That's a really, really, really loaded question. I think. Yeah, this is a loaded question. I have an answer for it right off the bat. Yep. The, there is no reason, unless you are absolutely certain with all your heart and your mind that you are going to win your dynasty league, and you want to go out there and you want to you you want to go for that thing. You want to go for the ship this year. There's no reason outside of that that you should be paying three firsts, especially right now, because when you're when you're getting a high end asset like that, even even if you're a young rebuilding team, why would you give up three? Future first, when you're working on building depth on your roster, why would you give up those assets to get the highest end asset possible like a receiver like Chase or Justin Jefferson? They're they're obviously you 
you would kill to get Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase as your number one receiver on a rebuilding roster. But one, at that point, you're not rebuilding. And two, if you if you are rebuilding, you want to go for those picks so you can trade them away so that you can get more solid depth assets. There's there's no reason you should be giving those up for one player. Yeah, this is the, the, and now that I think about it, it's clear to me. Um, yeah, you. You're, I don't ever think you're going to see straight up three first round picks for X player. You know, and the top top quarterbacks like Herbert and Mahomes and Allen, I think are probably worth more than three firsts. But I don't ever think you're going to see three first round picks for Justin Jefferson because anybody who's holding three firsts is obviously in a rebuild. They've traded away their contending pieces and tried to get first round picks. And if you're going out and getting one singular cornerstone with those, yes, you're going to have a reliable player. Yes, you're going to have an elite dynasty option but ultimately from a production standpoint and from a diversification standpoint that's not going to help your rebuilding team long term you're going to need depth you're going to need young talent and you're honestly going to want to you're going to want to have as many chances on a young player as you can get and the first are going to provide that so yeah that's why i think when you see trades for these top guys you know justin jefferson alone for amari cooper saquon barkley at 23 first and 223 first or whatever um I, I think you see, though, you have to, you know, most of the time there is a high-level player or a couple mid-tier level players like Barkley and Cooper, and then in addition there are picks because that was a down-tier from a contending team. Um, and honestly, like, I don't think, I, I don't see a lot of people out there just paying draft picks for these top guys. Yeah. So if you have the draft picks, odds are you're, you're not contending. And if you're not, I definitely would be keeping them and picking next year. Yeah, there's pretty much two extremes to this idea of giving up three firsts. Those are either coming really in one season or they're spread out among two or three seasons. If they're spread out among two or three seasons, you better believe that you can compete for the ship over the next two to three seasons. That's real, no, it's, but that's, and if you have three in one year... You're not competing. Why? You're not competing. Probably so unless then, you're really, really good at dynasty. Yeah. So there's no reason to get a high end asset like that. And and this is this is a big deal coming from us who are uh, probably lower on picks than uh, the general dynasty community, even going into the rookie drafts and stuff. Uh, maybe not lower, but we're like rational when it comes to pick value. Um, and, and this is our take on that. So now, I'm going to add an inter- an interesting note to this real quick. This question, just to wrap it up. We do have somebody in one of our leagues, AZ, who has all 12 23 firsts in one of our leagues. 12 of them. Are you kidding? And his team's not that bad. Yeah, at that point, it's worth it to give up a That's couple firsts for something. That's what I was going to say. If I were you, AZ, I would, I would probably be moving half of those into two elite players. At least half of those. And then picking six. That's what I would be doing. Yeah, because... Because at best, six out of those twelve picks are going to hit, and then you're screwed for the rest. So get value so, so, out of six. So get that the guarantee. Get hit. the guarantee value. That way, even if you miss, you got something out of those picks. Yeah. Even if you miss on the rest, the remaining six. So it obviously it's just going to depend. In a situation like that, it's definitely worth moving some of them for a top level player. Um. All right. Moving on. Are people overlooking Van Jefferson? Could he actually be the wide receiver two for the Rams? I mean, this is largely dependent on two things. Number one. Was Allen Allen Robinson just dragging his feet last year and and completely not trying? Because most people think he was. The other question is: Is Odell going to get re-signed in in LA? Um, Big question. I think, and you know, I got laughed at today for for suggesting that Odell might go back to the Rams. But I just I, last I heard, there was still optimism he would re-sign there. And honestly, I do think he ends up going back there. And I think he'll probably come back mid-season. 
maybe maybe later in the season. So at the same time, that does still leave opportunity for Van Jefferson if uh, he ends up producing. From a talent standpoint, I don't necessarily see it. I think Van Jefferson is a very solid receiver that is playing with an elite quarterback in Matt Stafford. And I think you saw it on the Chiefs last year. Um, you know, with some of their some of their guys like Michael Hardman and Byron Pringle and things like that. Uh, those guys were catching passes, but they were in large in part due to Mahomes. And and so I guess you could say Stafford could make Van Jefferson the wide receiver too. Are people overlooking him? I don't know. They he's they could be Van Van is in a Van is definitely in a perfect position to be one of those awesome uh, uh, high value receivers at the position he's going in in dynasty startups right now like if you own van there there's a there's a decent chance that come the season and you're competing like he could actually be a significant piece in your depth in your roster when injuries start happening bye weeks start rolling around and things like that and you can plug him in and feel comfortable that hey he could put up five points for you he also could put up 15 to 20 because he's a big playmaker he's kind of like the mvs of the well used to be green bay now um, Kansas City, that sort of playmaker. Um, Van is pretty old for a third-year wide receiver. Correct. He was a late bloomer for sure. Yeah, but that's the thing that that is the the promise for Van is he is young when it comes to NFL experience, and we look for that third-year breakout when it comes to receivers. He could be one of those late bloomers in terms of age, and he could take another step this year. He wasn't bad last year no, he was I mean, actually he was, he was startable he was when you needed to he, like you if you needed receiver a, three yeah if you need exactly if you needed to plug him in you yeah had I, think a chance. He, I think he is like like and i think he's going to be that this year if not maybe slightly improved um so yeah, yeah i th- are people overlooking him i mean in the in the latest dd startup he went in the 17th round uh around guys like kj hamler and jameson crowder jameson crowder who i also think is being overlooked uh, behind guys like KJ Osborne, he's uh, Josh Palmer, Lavisca Chenault. It's hard for me to justify him going too much higher, just because he wasn't an elite prospect, but he is in an elite situation. So in a dynasty league, I think his short-term um, production potential is fairly high, while his long-term kind of scares me, especially if he doesn't get a second contract with Matt Stafford and the Rams. But you saw last year, like Nathan said, he's startable at least. So on a contending team, when you're grabbing Van Jefferson in the, in the 17th round, I think that's he's a good, a good guy. I think that's target. a good value, yeah. and I think it's a good guy to just keep on your bench. Yeah, he uh, one one thing to keep an eye on. We're I'm looking at a player profile here, just his metrics. They're they're pretty average. You yeah, know, he he, he at, best, at best as a career receiver, he could be a high or sorry, he could be a low end wide receiver too in terms of annual production in my opinion the one thing that i'm noticing the most here is his drops he was first in the league in drops last year with 11 and that can be really discouraging that can also be encouraging to a point where you can see can say okay he was a second year receiver he has room to improve we've seen receivers in the past that have a history of drops like deontay johnson and then they come back from that and they really really produce at a high level not saying Van will ever get to that point because he's not that type of receiver. But again, overlooking him Maybe. D- depends on what you mean by I, I, overlooking. Yeah. He it, he can be a value. I I don't think I don't see him climbing into wide receiver two like top twenty four wide receivers no. in dynasty this year. No. Um, and long term, I definitely don't. So maybe you could make the argument that people are over- overlooking him. With that said, I think his ceiling is is slightly or at least somewhat capped. Um, I think with Stafford though, short term he looks good. Um. All right, uh, which QB from the rookie class of 2021 do you all think will take the biggest step in 2022? 
who has the highest ceiling, who has the highest floor, and who's your biggest sell, who's your biggest buy. All right, so one question at a time. I'll do, um, who do you think will take the biggest step? This is probably, there's a lot. Of, it's funny because there's actually quite a, a few you have to think about here. Um, off the top of my head, I think it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. Unless you count Trey Lance in that. If you're counting, like, I guess a step for Trey Lance, like, it's hard to measure that because he didn't really play last year. I think Trey Lance will probably have a solid uh, initial rookie outing here. But taking a step up from last year, I, I have to I have to bet on Trevor Lawrence. I don't think people were wrong about him being the prospect that he was. I think you saw it at Clemson. I think the talent is there. I think he's going to have a new coaching staff, a new offensive scheme. Honestly, I that he I think he's my favorite to take the biggest step in 2022 out of those guys. Who do you think? I'd, I'd be with you there with Lawrence. That's kind of the easy answer for me. It's hard. I mean, it's um, hard for me to see Fields taking a huge step because of his weapons. Yeah, Mac Jones is is Mac Jones. He's going to do what New England has him do. Great NFL quarterback in terms of uh, fantasy production, probably not that much of a big no. step. Actually, a, another guy that I thought of when I first saw this question was Tua. Um, in terms of fantasy production, is he a twenty twenty one? Oh crap! Yeah, you're right. He's no, 20, he was twenty twenty. My bad. Yeah, yeah I that I was just thinking. Yeah, well, in the general. other guy I was thinking that's of another question. from this class was Zach Wilson. I think Zach Wilson would be my second pick to take a step up because honestly, I think Zach he Wilson, can't get any worse. He can't get any worse, and I think he improves. You know, obviously they have better weapons around him with Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson and a healthy Elijah Moore, hopefully. So I think talent wise and draft capital wise and situationally. Uh, Zach Wilson could also take a step up too, so he think he would be my second choice. There. Yeah, um, and as and as, oh my gosh, uh, I yelled too much in disc golf today. The uh, aside from the quarterbacks, which are kind of the easy guys to say they'll take a step up because you expect them to well, after their rookie season. Oh, it did say quarterbacks. Yeah. Okay, the whole question is about oh, quarterbacks. Oh, my bad, I missed so, that. No, it's okay. I was going to talk about tight ends. So, who has the highest ceiling out of those guys? Ceiling, I think it might end up being Trey Lance. He has the highest ceiling. He's the one that runs. Yeah. Uh, who has the highest floor? Mac Jones. Probably Mac, because unless, he, unless they're playing Buffalo in the snow. Mac Jones will be playing for New England for the foreseeable future. He's the most guaranteed. He's exactly what they want with and their he's system. Not gonna put he's up, not going anywhere. And his ceiling isn't super high, but his floor is high. So he's always going to be very dependable, and as long as he's around, you know, he's a smart and capable QB, I think his floor is going to be fair, like yeah. I said, unless they're if playing you, Buffalo yeah, in the snow. Yeah, if you say his floor is .5 points, shut up. That game was such an outlier. Yeah, that it clearly was. Uh, I don't think anybody would make that argument. They, they, he literally passed the ball two times. Who's your biggest sell and who's your biggest buy? You know, it's really hard for me to justify selling any of these quarterbacks yet. Because, you know, I would argue that most all of them are holds. I would not be selling. Even Justin Fields, I don't know... I don't know if I'm selling Justin Fields, but I know you have sold Justin Fields. At least some some places you have. I sold him to you in an eight-team league a while ago. But yeah, I I just sold, in my opinion, my biggest sell of those quarterbacks that we said is is Zach Wilson, mm -hmm. because I just got a twenty-three first for him, and just when it comes to the value of twenty-three first in the way that the dynasty community views that value, I think the return I can get on that first later is a uh, one higher, a higher return, and also less risk when it comes to like like what reward I can get in in six months from now because if Zach Wilson ends up disappointing in six months he's going to be worth half of what he's going for sure and I think I think if there's an opportunity to sell Mac Jones with, to somebody who's really high on Mac Jones 
maybe you jump on that because, like I said, I think you know what you're going to get with Mac Jones. I don't think his ceiling is incredibly high. So if you have somebody that's really valuing him, like valuing him as a fourth or fifth round startup pick where he's being drafted more in the sixth, seventh range, I, I would jump on that. But I'm not particularly looking to sell anybody. As far as who I'm looking to buy right now, that's kind of hard too. Like I, I don't. It's not Trey Lance. I see there are, there are risks involved with buying into Zach Wilson. My gut tells me Zach Wilson because I'm not really buying into Justin Fields. I, that kind of scares me a little bit. I'm not really buying into Mac. I'm uh, Trevor Lawrence. I think you could make an argument that Trevor Lawrence is the biggest buy out of these guys too. That's, I mean, that's what I would say. Because if he's going to take the biggest step up in 2020, if we think he's going to take the biggest step up, then that by default would probably make him our biggest buy because he could easily jump into the top eight of QBs next year. Yeah, he La- can, he Lawrence can, he is can my biggest. Guys. Lawrence is my biggest buy. I would say Lawrence or Zach Wilson. So for most improved and, and potentially biggest buy, I think that's. I think those are the guys that I'm going to be watching really closely. Uh, and obviously Zach Wilson, you know, off the field, just a crazy person. So I think it'll be interesting to watch how he handles all that too. But um, yeah, Zach Wilson. Uh, all right, handcuffs. Is it smart to handcuff running backs in Dynasty? If so, then how early is too early? Or would it be a mistake to focus on handcuffing and losing out on that pick? So, is it smart to handcuff running backs in Dynasty? Go ahead. Let's let's start with uh, probably the most common handcuff you're seeing right now, and that's Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison. Madison, Madison at this point is just going too early. He he just he just is, in my opinion. Madison is not a long-term running back option in, in Dynasty or in the NFL for any team. He he puts up dang good dang good production when when he's on the field when Dalvin's hurt. That's when Dalvin's hurt, which is a few games a season. I understand the value of that handcuff where you're not down-tiering week to week when Dalvin is out. However, when you're passing up on the promise of talented receivers specifically that are going around the same time that Madison is, it's not worth it for me. Because Madison, if you tried to sell straight up Madison, you're not getting you're not getting much draft capital out of it. I'd be impressed if you got a second. But his, but but his stock could jump. His his, his value could stock, skyrocket any second. I mean, if something happens to Cook, like even legally, like uh-huh. Madison's in, and Madison mm-hmm. is a good running back. But long term, I don't where, know. He's young. Yeah, I mean, really, like if Dalvin Cook was out for the season week one, I think Madison would be a. I mean, I got to start Madison last year when Cook was out, and he did very well for yeah, me. No, I I know that's yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I'm I'm just saying in terms of going, the the value. I think he's going too high in startups. That's all I'm saying. He's he's going like in the 13th. So he's going around Melvin Gordon and Ronald Jones and Devin Singletary and Kenneth. I mean, so I'll, I'll take handcuff. I'll take I'll take Madison over those guys. Yeah, but what are the receivers he's going around? Um, like he, the he draft went, that we he went just before did. MVS, Tyler Boyd, Jarvis Landry, Jacoby Myers, Alberto, Hunter Henry. Um, Desmond Ritter, Marcus Mariota. I mean, a lot of those guys are playing every snap on the field. Yeah, I see that argument. Okay, I get it. I think I think the other you know common handcuffs you're seeing are obviously Javante and Melvin Gordon, um, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. Those are popular. And those I, Zeke and Pollard, Zeke and Pollard, and those I think are I don't. I, and so is it smart? I think in some cases it's smart. I don't think that it's 
100% necessary to have the AJ Dillon Aaron Jones handcuff. Um, that, so I'll, I want to tell you how I drafted in my last uh, dynasty domain startup. So here's here's kind of how I use the handcuff strategy to give myself some peace of mind because I went old running back. I, in the third round, I drafted Austin Eckler. In the fifth round, I drafted Derrick Henry. Now, obviously, these guys are both 27, 28 years old and not going to last forever. So my, my, my strategy was in the 11th round, I was able to get Isaiah Spiller. And honestly, I love that handcuff. I, yes, the Josh Jacobs Zamir White handcuff is another yes. one that's a big time go to for me. In the 18th round, I got Hassan Haskins to go with Derrick Henry. I also got uh, Dontrell Hilliard in the 23rd uh, to go with Derrick Henry. So I have all three Tennessee running backs. So this is what it guarantees with these two older running backs that I drafted. I really like handcuffs with older running backs, if if they're, especially if they're cheaper like this. Yeah. It guarantees if Isaiah Spiller is the future, if he does take over for Austin Eckler, I have that handcuff, and I he steps into that role, and I don't end up having to search for another running back. He, go, he gets plugged into an elite offense, and if he's that good, then it works out. If Derrick Henry gets hurt this year, I have Derrick Henry's backup on my roster. So, And Tennessee is going to be the most run-heavy team in the league this year. It's definitely not a bad team to have all three of those running backs rostered. So that's when I like to use the handcuffs, when there's, especially when there's value uncertainties with the running backs you're drafting. Now, if you're talking to me about David Montgomery and Cleo Herbert, I don't, I don't love like handcuffs like that. Uh, Miles Sanders and Kenneth Gainwell, I, I think you take a shot on one or the other. Yeah, right? I was, yeah that's is, is what I was just about to say. If you want to take a shot on one of those guys, go for it. I wouldn't be like <laughs> going hard for both of those handcuffs or anything. I think, honestly... <laughs> It's hard to not be biased again because we're Colts fans, but I mean, let's be honest, the best handcuff that you can get probably in the league right now, aside from Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, is Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. Bingo! Naheem Hines is the pass-catching running back that's playing much, much of the downs yeah. on the offense with Jonathan Taylor. Hines is not taking away from Taylor at all, no. and Taylor is not taking away from Hines. That's not his skill set. Hines is an incredible pass-catcher. And yeah, like, really good. Hey, hey, talk about a sleeper alert that you can actually count on. Frank Reich literally said, I'd draft Hines in my I fantasy league fantasy, this year. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to give him the ball more. Be- they weren't able to because of Wentz last year. He didn't do the checkdowns. He was a little bit too aggressive. This year, that's not going to happen. They have Matt Ryan. Um, I think a, a handcuff that I would look into as sort of a sleeper handcuff that's not going to cost you. It's going to cost you next to nothing. Um, check out Tyler Algeo and Cordero Paz- Patterson. They're starting Marcus Mariota, we think, for the entire season. Who knows if Desmond Ritter could be plugged into there. I think Corderell Patterson is an expendable back that they can do a lot with because he's freaking 30 years old. Tyler Algier is a late-round running back that they just drafted. They'll probably give him some carries. Who else is there in the backfield? Corderell could catch the passes. Algier could do the carries. Um, you know, If you want to plug one of them in here or there, it's kind of just a low... And, and I think, and I think the thing. main thing that we're kind of dancing around here that I'm going to try to make the point is definitely don't sacrifice value and go out of your way to get a handcuff. But if they fall to yeah. you and you're indifferent about who to take, like in the 18th round when I'm taking Hassan Haskins, like I'm, there's not a clear like I'm losing or, or winning value here if I don't take this player. So, you know, that just made up my mind on who I'm going to pick. The handcuffs here, I'm going to take the handcuff. Like that fits my team. I definitely wasn't sacrificing value though. And I think a lot of times when you're focusing on the, you know, Khalil Herbert type handcuff, you end up sacrificing the yeah. Alexander Madison. Yeah, exactly. You end up sacrificing value. You, you can't you can't start Dalvin and Madison on the same week. You can, 
start Dalvin and Tyler Boyd, Tyler Boyd, Hunter Henry in the same week. Yeah. And that's that's probably that's just a smart move. It's it's whatever you're willing to sacrifice. I understand Dalvin's injury history. It's just my opinion. So yeah, I, I think definitely don't go don't sacrifice value, especially in a startup, to go get handcuffs. Um Good question. Yeah, that's a great question. But you you heard my I like the examples of the older running backs with the cheaper handcuffs and um, especially on a contending team, that way you're going to substitute for the points that you're going to lose if you have an injury. It's kind of like insurance. Uh, when drafting a startup, do you find yourselves drafting win now teams or productive struggle teams? Personally, win now teams typically. I think Nathan is the same way. We t- we tend to draft. I think Simon is more likely to draft productive struggle out of all of us. Uh, is this draft slot dependent? Yes. I think I think it's I think it's just draft dependent actually. I think, you know, depending on how the I think after the first two or three rounds you have an idea of what kind of team you're going to draft. And it's just all going to depend on what kind of value falls to you and you're going to end up taking the best value. If the best value that falls to you in the first round, two rounds is contender value, guys like Obviously, in the first round, it's hard to go. But like, if you're drafting Kyle Pitts in the first round, there's definitely no guarantee that you're going to go contender. But if you're taking Lamar Jackson, and then in the second round, you get around in a high-production guy. I'm trying to think of an example of somebody who goes in that second round that's going to score a crap ton of points. Like Cooper Cup falls to you at the, in the late second, and you draft Cooper Cup to go with Lamar Jackson, you're, gonna, you're probably going to go contending. I mean, it just... But, you know, a lot of times Cooper Cup is going to get picked up by people who want to be contending closer to the turn. And so it's just going to depend on how the guys fall to you in the first couple of rounds. And I think that's usually how I determine whether I'm going to draft that way yeah. is how it, how it shakes out. Yeah. And I think it's usually pretty apparent. Now, here's, here's a mistake that I think people make that um, <clears throat> I've been thinking about recently. I think once people get started on a, for example, productive struggle or rebuild draft, they feel like they can't draft any old players at all. And they're sacrificing value. So I'll give you an example. I I ended up falling into that category. Um, I ended up drafting Kyle Pitts and CeeDee Lamb and Jalen Waddell and Drake London as my core. I went no QB. But I got into the later rounds of the draft and I realized Odell Beckham Jr. was still sitting there. Odell's 29. Odell does not fit my team. I do not need Odell. But Odell was clearly, from for if I were contending, it was a very clear pick. Like he was the only guy left. So as a rebuild draft, it shouldn't be off limits, I don't think, for you to draft guys like that. Take it and sell it take when it someone else it. needs it. Or take it, and if you're going to be ready the next year, use them the next year. And I think you know a lot of people will say, okay, I drafted Brees Hall, I drafted Kyle Pitts, now Derrick Henry is here as a, as a value in this round, but I'm not going to take him because he doesn't fit my build. Well, Kyle Pitts and Brees Hall might produce. I mean, you could. it is possible to have a young team with contending pieces, and then you have the best of both worlds. And I think far too often we get into this point where we're doing startup drafts, like, well, I'm productive struggle, I'm drafting all the young guys, and then half your team ends up being rookies. And the problem with drafting all of these rookies is you get in these later rounds, you have these proven, you know, somewhat, sometimes third flex spot startable players, but we opt not to draft them, we opt to take chances on rookie after rookie after rookie, and honestly, the risk that's involved with that, and the odds that all of them hit is, you might end up with, with less than half of them hitting five players on your bench next year because all these rookies didn't hit. 
I think you have to. I think you don't. You shouldn't get too sucked into drafting one way or the other. And if you're contending, like it's not like you can't draft a young player. If there's a young value there, then do it. Contend. Get yourself. And I'll say this over and over. Part of winning fantasy leagues, you've got to get yourself in the playoffs. If you build a team, and building the team is the obviously the skill part of it. But if you build the team and you get yourself in the playoffs, at that point, it is luck. It's going to be luck. There's a lot of luck involved. Obviously, you can theoretically build your team better than somebody else's. But if you if you give yourself a chance, even if you're the sixth seed, you can win it. Just get there. It, it, at that point, you have to have a lot of things go your way to win. And people who are at the top are just as likely to uh, vulnerabilities as you are. So I think I think that's kind of my thought on on drafting right now and and which teams are more fun to draft? I don't know. It just depends. I had fun drafting last time because I ended up going with like a quadruple charger stack. So it just depends on how you make the draft. Like I think contending teams are are more fun to draft because I think you see like what you're going to have this year and it makes you a little bit more excited. What do you think? Yeah, I I also honestly I kind of find it easier to uh you can draft a contending team and you can easily trade out of those assets and all of a sudden see yourself being a productive struggle team. And then Avery, we've also seen you go full productive struggle in a, in a draft basically where, where we were doing pickers, the, the draft picks yeah. um, included in the draft before the NFL draft. And you ended up being one of the strongest contending teams, Mr. Bottom Six. And um, yeah. it just, it's just, it's just, it's just how it happened. Um, it's, it's, the best you take the best value for me um i have found a pattern where dynasty is very exciting and i and i said this last week it's really really fun to be into the super new cool toys um and those are the rookies and those are the young guys that are two three years old um experience um in in the nfl and you kind of overlook those guys that have been proven dynasty assets for years and years and years and while the really the biggest risk is them fading out which is relevant that is, that is a big risk but i mean you're seeing guys like i sometimes i just can't help it it's like i have to take the best value and the best value at this point are the old guys because everyone wants the new cool young guys i have to take aaron jones in the ninth round that's atrocious yeah <laughs> I have to take Stefan Diggs. Alvin Kamara. In the I second. have to take Kamara. I have to take Zeke Elliott. They're dropping too far. People who are scared of old guys in Dynasty are crazy. Yeah, so don't that that is a warning that I guess I would tack on to these questions is they're they're both fun to do. Productive struggle um, and win now. I see myself doing a lot more win now, even in between a little bit. Um, don't don't compromise the value of your team for what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, yeah, agree. I, I, I like drafting both. I think they're fun. I love startup drafts. It's like a, it's like an itch at this point. I'm like, yeah. I got to stop doing them. Yep. Um, what are you willing to give up to acquire Daniel Jones, Goff, or Mills type to be your third QB in a super flex league? So that's basically like uh, quarterbacks in the 23 to 30 range to be a third, to be your backup QB in a super flex. What are you willing to give up? Not a first. No, not a first. I think I'd be willing to give up a depth player of another position if a quarterback, like somebody comparable in value. So let me, I'm, I'll pull it up and we'll see what who Keep Trade Cut, the the dumb trade calculator. Let's see what Keep Trade Cut has to say. So like, for example, uh, let's go Jared Goff because I think, I think it is important to have these backups. Comparable to Jared Goff on Cheap Cut, like Chase Edmonds, Noah Font, Alec Pierce, Tyler Lockett. That's equivalent to... A second and a third 
maybe two seconds. Would I give up two seconds to get a backup QB in a, in a super flex? It depends on who the backup QB is, but possibly. It's a quarterback in a super flex league. You can't ever downplay the value. More likely to give up a single second or a second and a third or a player of that in that value range. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, Daniel Jones, Goff, and Mills are actually, eh, they're, they're okay as third QB options if you need to throw them in there. Honestly, I think the best value of those is going to be Goff. He's probably going to be the cheapest of those three. Yeah. I mean, I and he's get, probably going to put up the most numbers this season, in my opinion. Goff or second. Like, I would, I would too. Yeah. I really would. That would be my go-to. Daniel Jones, he has that rushing upside. He has that ability with the weapons on the team. Um, I honestly, just at this point, I just question his his health and, and like how how is he gonna do with the uh, offensive line for the Giants? Did they update their offensive line at all this season? I forget what they yeah, did. Yeah, the remember draft. they drafted a guy too. They, they did. They okay. took a guy in the lottery. Yeah, yeah. So they they, they could draft. They could do a bit better this season again. And he's got some upside, Daniel Jones. Yeah, more upside than Davis Mills, I think. Yeah. Um, I trust I trust the process in Detroit more than I do. In New York, even though both of their situations are much brighter, um, Saquon is incredible. He could take it, take a step back up this season. DeAndre Swift is mainly a pass catching running back. Yes, and that that bodes well for your average at best quarterback. Yeah. I like um, I like Goff there. Um, I like a guy like Jim Swinson too. Like if people are down on Jameis, like I think Jameis will produce. He'd be yeah. a great. Backup. Unless your uh, negative points for interceptions is like minus four, Correct. then I would then, think again. Yeah, then don't do that. Um, so yeah, that's probably what I pay. A se- anywhere between a single, a singular second and a, and two seconds, depending if it's a guy you think is worth two twenty three seconds, which is hard to find right now. Um, what do you make of Monty, which David Montgomery, Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison? James Robinson, and they're impending free agency in 2023. <laughs> How will this impact the running back landscape? This kind of ties into the uh, quarterback stacks that we were talking about, or, or sorry, the running back t- stacks that we were talking about earlier. Um, we are most attracted to the Josh Jacobs, Zamir White stack right now. Could- Zamir White, in our opinion, is probably one of the most overlooked running backs in this class because of where James Cook went in the draft. James Cook is, in, is, is just horrible, Zemir, by the way. Yeah, Zamir White was the... He was the best running back in Georgia. He was better than James Cook all around. He had some injury issues. He got over them. Uh, and they, they were a committee backfield in Georgia and defensive base, might I add. Um, <clears throat> we like that because if Jacobs goes down, which he doesn't really have a history of going down, but if he does, Amir White is there. I don't see, I personally don't see with the uh, money that they've invested in the offense already, specifically the passing game and Derek Carr, um, Waller, Adams, et cetera, et cetera. Like, the, I don't see them paying big bucks for Josh Jacobs. I don't think he's worth that. And the only reason they'd be able to re-sign him is if they get him for for pretty cheap. And then at that point, if he's that cheap, they'll probably just make him and Zamir White a committee. Um, and then at that point, Zamir has a decent amount of value. Pollard, um, I think what he did last season... I don't know if he'll match that. Here's the thing with all these guys. Here's here's my thought. These guys are already, you know, I think the highest out of these guys is Monty, and he f- settles into that 17 to 20 range for running backs, and so does Josh yeah, Jacobs. Yeah, we and, love him as a value. And then the other guys fall behind that. Um, even if they get their second contracts, it's hard for me to see them making a huge jump in, in, in the running back landscape just because they're going to be on their second contract. 
that's generally when you start to look to get off of running backs. So like with with Josh Jacobs, even if he got re-signed in Las Vegas, I think it would be hard for me to move him up that much. I think it would be hard for me to move David Montgomery up that much. And even if they go to different teams and they're going to be the starters, they're on their second contract. So I think I think the the jump that they would get from signing a new contract uh, combined with the drop that they're going to get from being on their second contract because that's when you typically want to move off these running backs like this uh, and coupled with the fact that none of them are really elite dynasty options, um, I don't think it's going to shake up the running back landscape above RB15 that much at all. I, I just I don't see it happening. Yeah, though I personally think David Montgomery probably has the most uh, long-lasting yes. dynasty value out of this Correct. group. James Robinson having the least. I, I personally think he's going to be pretty irrelevant. Uh, very Philip Lindsay-like after there, he's not going to get re-signed. He's not, and if he does, it'll be for nothing hit the draft capital is just too low he wasn't he wasn't drafted the running back landscape's always changing though so i wouldn't be surprised if this shook things up but i just think it's going to shake itself up anyways so we'll yeah. see um which of the three of you drafts the most win now versus the most productive struggle nathan probably drafts the most win now simon probably drafts the most productive struggle i typically favor win now but i also will draft productive struggle but i think those are i think they're kind of on the opposite ends there i don't ever i hardly ever see nathan draft productive struggle it's just not a, his, yeah. his go-to is win now. Yeah, the the and one the one league where I am rebuilding, you're not in, so you don't really see that. But exactly, and Simon, I do do and, that sometimes. And Simon will draft win now, uh, but he's more likely than I am, and and more likely than Nathan is to draft productive struggles. Simon's better with player evaluations and projections and things like that, so he thinks I, I he has a better grip uh, a better grip on how players are going to perform in the future or or you know his projections for things like that. So because he's a good player evaluator, I think he's more likely to draft productive struggle. Um, what is one take on a player that you like from your co-host? What is one take on a player you like the least? Something we haven't heard on the pod yet. Mm. <laughs> Can you think of any off the top of your head that I that we haven't cuz we kind of made the pod to talk about all of our crap. Yeah. But on takes that is I, there any, I is there anything that I've said that off that you, camera that you like that i like yeah or, that you or, set off or the dislike camera. i guess Honest, about a gosh we just we say so many things that kind of goes over my head we, i i mean we literally just had a big talk about gabe davis and alan lazard today a big text thread or whatever i guess you would hate my take on lazard the most yeah i'll talk about that i haven't i haven't really talked about that on the pod yet so i think i think but you you have valid points in this. But I think Nathan sometimes goes with the assumption that with guys like Alan Lazard, um, just because there's more target opportunity and there's vacated targets, in my opinion, that doesn't mean that a bad receiver is going to be, become a good receiver. Like I yeah. think Alan Lazard is still a bad receiver, and and I think Alan Lazard will increase in production. But at the same time, like I'm not looking at his value and saying, oh my gosh, he's such a value. Because honestly, long term, I don't like his value because a bad receiver can be have a good situation in the short term, but once that situation is gone, then they're just a bad receiver yeah. again. Uh, one of one of the takes that we haven't really talked about. Um kind of a hot take we tweeted it earlier today um simon is a big fan of t higgins which you guys know you've heard that on the pod but uh is there a possibility that he could outproduce jamar chase in fantasy this season a possibility yes it's possible a yeah. likelihood probably not but there's yeah. definitely possible yeah um another thing that we don't talk about we we usually don't talk about the super 
far down dynasty assets, you know, receiver, quarterback, running back, tight end. Jig, Oquan- Jig Oconquo is kind of one of the guys Ch- that Ch- we've Oconquo? looked into a bit. We we like his situation in Tennessee because there's not really anyone there. Uh that's, yeah, that's you, you know that's a hard it, question that's to a little, down, but it, it is those are a couple we, things we talk about off camera um we, we probably have to circle back to that one if we really wanted to do yeah, about it claypool do you find more buying slash selling opportunities early in the season like the first six weeks by people panicking or being or people being too stubborn hoping things will change um hmm i think I think that's going to be your opportunity to where people will panic. I think people will panic in the first week or six weeks. And I, and I think, you know, there's some, I think after six weeks you have a good gauge on what your team is going to be like. And so people who are, think they were contending and aren't, I think you can get a lot of discounts on contending pieces. If you're uh, needing one for your contending team, I don't think it's often that people are too stubborn. I think the cases that you see people be too stubborn are when you have a lot of injuries or something like that. I was kind of like that last year. I was off to a very bad start uh, in one of my leagues, and I was very stubborn because I knew if everybody got healthy, I would have a, a very good shot of winning the league, and people got healthy, and I ended up winning the league. And my record wasn't great, but it was because I was stubborn through it with my players that I liked, and I knew if they were healthy, I had a good shot. And and that's how it So it just depends. Like, yeah. I, do I find more either way? Um, Here's, prob- I think more often people panic than they're stubborn. Yeah. Now I have seen uh, the other side of stubbornness, and a lot of times the stubbornness kind of uh, can be mistaken for even inactivity during the season just when it comes to trades and uh, market value moving around and stuff like that. But, uh, for example... I have one of the few rebuilding teams that I have. I had Nick Chubb on my roster, and I wanted to get him off my hands. And what I did is instead of rushing it, which I think a lot of people would do in my position, is I waited until during the season to get him off my hands because I knew people were going to try to undercut me at the start of the season. And what I found is once I started giving giving out offers in the middle of the season, um, people weren't biting the contending teams weren't biting and I was getting a bit worried that I was going to be stuck with Chubb when he just took a significant like value hit, I guess in terms of like not really value hit, but like he's, he's, he's older now. He's not, uh, you know, he's 26 now, Ooh, whatever. Yay. Scary. But the, the contenders weren't biting. And then all of a sudden I got, <laughs> I, I got an offer. I, I got two first for him, um, which nice. was a, which was a pretty big deal. I think both were 23 firsts they may have may, may have been a 22 and a 23 first I forget but I got a pretty I got what I wanted from them and it was funny because it came like the the week going into the trade deadline which was week 14 and I, I hadn't gotten anything before that I think a lot of rebuilding team or not I think a lot of win now teams get so stubborn with their rosters where they think they're fine and, and they're not going to trade for anything not give up any future assets younger assets at the beginning of the season because they they don't want to give up that future until they realize like hey this is the trade deadline i i've got it i've got to go for it i have to and that i i would say that's kind of a mix of stubbornness with them not accepting that they need that extra push and it's a mix of the people that are rebuilding rushing too much where like you you have got to be patient and you have got if you need to wait until that last day 
because you hold all of the leverage. Worst case scenario, you have a high-end asset that's a little bit older and you can just sell them off later. But you have that piece that is going to put that contending team over the top. And they will have to give up that draft capital. Don't rush it. Don't do it before the season. Yeah. Sometimes that call. Sometimes you can, but I, that's that's my advice. Uh, what QBs in twenty twenty two have the best chances of exceeding ADP? How do you read that question? Do you do you? Well, I pulled up quarterback ADP. I mean, do you, is it talk, you think he's talking about like production to where you're being drafted though? Yeah. I mean, because that's essentially like exceeding redraft ADP. I. I I guess input in dynasty. If you're talking about dynasty ADP to production finishes, like obviously the guys like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, Aaron are Rodgers. Going to outperform exactly. their ADP. They're going to finish as a top six QB and they're being drafted in QBs 18 to 20, you know, things like that. If you're talking about guys that are going to improve their ADP, um, who has the best chance of that? I think Trevor Lawrence probably has the best chance out of anybody because I think it's hard for guys at the top to improve their, I think it's hard for old guys to improve their ADP a bunch. Tua Tagovailoa has a has a decent shot of improving his ADP. Yeah, in Dynasty, Jared Goff is valued as QB thirty two. He's not going to be QB thirty two next he year. He has a good year. Car- I mean, even somebody like Carson Wins has a chance, but Matt Ryan will not be quarterback twenty nine. As far as yeah, so the old guys are going to you know outperform their ADP. Improve who's going to improve their ADP? I definitely go for one of the second year quarterbacks we were talking earlier. Most likely, somebody like Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence. Um, Two attack by low or something. Yeah, two attack by low. Yeah, and again, this is this can also be an old player guy sort of thing where you know you're seeing those older quarterbacks going a little bit later, and you know they're going to do better than where they're being drafted or where they're being valued in terms of number of quarterbacks. Yeah, I hope hope we answered your question there. Um, Twelve team superflex PPR one point five tight end premium starting ten competing team. I would send Burrow and I would receive Carr, Fournette, and Waddle. My other running backs are Aaron Jones, Zeke, and Akers. My other wide receivers are Cup, Adams, and Cooper. Oh my gosh! Take Car, Fournette, and Waddle. Yeah, um, I, dude, that. But yeah, but I think I think what I would want to know here is who are your quarterbacks? That oh, uh, that is interesting. If, yeah, if you yeah. Send, if you sing Burrow, like I would definitely want to know who you're going to be starting. But I mean, obviously, one of them is Car. So assuming you have a solid. Um, second, I I think maybe I would take, but I think Carr, Fournette, and Waddle, and maybe it's because it came out today that Leonard Fournette weighs four thousand pounds, and so that's fresh on my mind. <laughs> but I don't know. I feel I feel like Carr, Fournette, as as low as I am on Burrow, and as he's one of my favorite down tiers, honestly. I don't know if Carr, Fournette, and Waddle is enough. Waddle, obviously, being in Miami with Tyreek now, Fournette not being a very long, uh, not being a long term option, and Carr. Being a, I, he's definitely somebody I'd want to include in a down tier. He's getting the car Adam stack. That's true. That's incredibly That's valuable. True. That's true. That's true. And and <sighs> Waddle is one of those young receivers that has already outproduced his expectations. Uh, we could see a little bit of a down tier this year because of Tyreek Hill being there, but obviously he's startable every single week. Is it so? So the other side of this, I think, is because he already has solid running backs and a combination of young and old, really just old wide receivers. So he would be getting younger at wide receiver with Waddle. I don't know. I don't think it's enough for Burrow, honestly. Like if you think about it in startup terms, that's Waddle's going in the third, Fournette is going in the seventh, maybe Carr is going maybe in the seventh. So that's like a seventh, a seventh, and a third. Yeah, but. Th- that's not enough. What, yeah, but what you're getting, I mean, look at the 
literally the ninth player. This is your starting 10, right? So the ninth player you're starting is Jalen Waddle. Like with this package that he's getting, the the only question he has is the 10th player. Yeah, I, it, I under, uh, yeah, that makes sense. I see both sides of this. Yeah. But honestly, I think you could get more for Burrow. I think you can. I think if you if you took Fournette out and improved that asset slightly, then I would be more inclined. Since to he's two hundred and forty pounds, since he's six yeah. million pounds. Yeah, I guess. Uh, but I mean, just you know, but we we have seen we have seen him trim up before. Obviously, well, the two forty is a not, bit concerning. That's not really. He's always concern. he's always run a bit big, but. But he, if you're going to trade away a young, three year, if you're going to trade away young cornerstone, like I would prefer to get uh, at least. Well, he he got Waddle as a I know, but I would but I would prefer not to trade into an old running back. That's just me. Okay. But you, you, you would have to admit though, he could get more if he wanted to, in startup terms for sure. He could maybe get a little bit more. Are you serious? I don't think he could I, get. I saw. That much I saw more. a first round startup pick go for a second, a third, and a fourth in one of my. It's not even close. Yeah. To this. Well, I I think even a third, a fourth, and a fifth is a lot more. Yeah. A lot more. Like you're talking yeah. significant value. Well, drops. that's the thing. Is personally, I would never do that. I wouldn't. True, but I pe- wouldn't give that but up. But people would. And that's what I'm. And if I'm telling this guy, like, if someone will give that up, and again, I mean, we got to look at this. The starting ten. So what can? It's tough since you already have one, two, three, four, five, six guys. He has a starting ten that's incredible with this. I know, but but having Burrow gives him some long term security to go along with that. Right, but he already looks like a win now, anyways. I know, but like. Burrow would would make his transition from a win now to a reload rebuild, back to a win now. If that once he goes through that transition, Burrow would make that smoother than Car Fournette and Waddle. Would. That's that's valid. So that's what I'm thinking. Like he had since he already had since Aaron Jones is a win now piece, Zeke is a win now piece, Adams is a win now piece, Cup is a win now piece, Cooper is a win now piece. He would be trading into two more win now pieces and then one more. Yeah, or long term piece. Yeah. And so for me, like it's hard. It's hard for me to. Let Burrow go for that. Like Waddle makes the receivers a bit smoother in transition. Absolutely, that so. is the that's the one of the pros yeah. of this. So yeah, I it just I would say no. Nathan would probably be inclined to do it. So it just depends. Thanks, love the show. Yeah, we love you too. Uh, next question here: The Golden State Warriors got criticized for keeping their young players instead of turning them into <laughs> a player that could help them win now, but ended up winning the title anyway. With that same thought process, how hard do you guys like to push your contending teams? Do you tend to unload your picks on upgrades even if they're luxuries? Or do you keep future picks unless they are needed to plug a legitimate hole? My approach on this has changed recently. So um, how hard do I like to push my contending teams? It depends. I definitely always like to have... You know, I'm, de- I'm probably going to unload my picks for sure because if you're really, really contending, you're going to have a late pick. Um... I, so I love unloading my picks on contending teams, just like the Rams and the NFL. Now, as far as young guys, a future, so it says, or I guess it doesn't even mention young guys. It just means do you, do you keep future picks unless they're needed to plug a legitimate hole. I think, though, if you have a team that you know is going to get you in the top four pretty easily, comfortably, I'm not definitely looking to trade my picks. Like, that gives you... Then, then you're allowing yourself to compete and potentially win, and then... Then reload. And then reload. Which is how you how you sustain long term dynasty success. Yeah, I don't go out of my way to trade away my picks to just be absolutely loaded but with older guys. I think it, and I think it also can be smart to hold your picks if you think you can compete still at the beginning of the season. You're gonna if you as long as you're competitive in the league, and then if you have a hole, then then I think it would be smart to move the pick at that point. Um, but it it just depends. I how hard I tend to push harder than than other people do especially with my picks. I'm not a pick guy. I don't like how picks are valued in Dynasty. 
Um, but if you can afford to keep them and roll with the roster you have and then potentially keep reloading or use it to plug a hole, I think that ends up being the, the wiser approach there. But I think sometimes we get carried away. Everybody thinks they have, if they're going to contend, they have to move their 23 first in the startup draft or right after the startup draft. Yeah. I don't think you need to do that. Yeah. So. Nice cross sport thought process. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Warriors. Yeah. <laughs> All right, couple more here. Um, what rookies have lost their luster and you find yourself targeting in trade acquisitions? Who's your first thought here? I wonder if we have the same guy. Uh, what rookies that have lost their luster and and we find ourselves targeting in trade acquisitions? Ah, uh, I'm thinking rookies of, from last season or this, this season? season? Oh, this Traylon Burks. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Trey, it's, for this year it's Traylon Burks. I'm what I'm looking forward to most for this year's training camp is to uh, see Traylon Burks be able to breathe. I know because if he's not, great. man, stock down. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so <laughs> that would be that. Uh, as far as like second, third round, uh, I'm trying to think. Trey McBride, Trey McBride, Alec Pierce for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think those are the main guys. I'm curious about Wondell Robinson. Wondell, yeah, Wondell. I saw him go for a 23 seconds today. Oh in, my in, gosh! In All stars. Oh I, my gosh! I know. I I tend no. to like the 23 second there, Troy. Sorry, but. Um, which player, or sorry, of current ADP, who are your best values at the quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end position? I'll give you mine off the top of my head. Rodgers at QB. Rodgers at QB. Uh, at running back, value, Saquon Barkley. At wide receiver, somebody like Chris Godwin, maybe, or... Hmm. I don't. I don't. I have a hard time with Deontay Johnson now, and actually, that's one of our next questions. But, Interesting. But Chris Godwin's a good value. Um, so people are gonna. People would argue for DK, and I'm not necessarily sure about that. Devonta Smith is my wide receiver. Actually, uh, there, there we go. Found good. it. I danced around him for a minute. And and uh, tight end position value. Zach Ertz probably <laughs> stop taking all of mine. <laughs> yeah, we have the same ones. Nathan yeah. and I have very similar value uh, opinions uh, on that. Which player in Dynasty at the at those positions stands to increase in value the most over the next calendar year, and who stands to lose the most value as well? I think that's a pretty wide-ranging um, possibility of outcomes there because I think there are a lot of players that can increase a lot, but who stands to increase the most in value? Uh, quarterback, who stands to increase the most? Probably Trevor Lawrence, right? I mean, I think we kind of keep circling back to that as yep. the guy who... Running back? Um, man. Uh, I pers- Dobbins. Dobbins. Yeah. Okay, I'll agree with you there. Let's say Dobbins. Wide receiver. Uh, I think man. one of the rookies, maybe. It could. It there, could be one of the rookies. Five, there are four or five rookies that. You yeah. Know, not. They're yeah. not necessarily jumping up in the top twelve yet. I think one of them could end up there. Uh, and then, tight end. I think uh, Chris Olave. Like Chris Olave is wide receiver. Uh, tight end. Increase in value. Uh, somebody like Irv Smith, I think, would be a good person. There. Irv I think, Smith. I think he has uh, a ton. Noah Font. Noah Font, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, back to the wide receivers real quick. Uh, aside from the younger guys, if you're looking for some older guys to sort of get back to where they were, um, A-Rob, Michael Thomas, Claypool isn't an old guy, but, man, he's dropped from uh, wide receiver 13 at the end of – the 2020 season to wide receiver 46 now and even wide receiver he was ranked 30th uh at the end of this year's super bowl and he's he's dropped like 15 points so uh kind of an interesting thing to see there with the younger middle-aged sort of guys that are you know michael thomas coming out from coming back from an injury a rob you're right may actually try (laughs) 
we'll skip the losing value because we gotta get through a couple more questions. Yep. Here. We'll um, maybe circle back to that one sometime. Uh, here's this one with the writing on the wall that Deontay Johnson is leaving after the season. How high could you see Chase Claypool and George Pickens rise up in startups this year? There are already 1,000 or more routes run leaving this offseason in Eric Ebron, Ray Ray McLeod, Juju, James Washington. Uh, Johnson leaving next season would be a massive void in targets. Also, who do you think does better this season, Chase or Pickens? Chase. Ch- oh, my gosh. It's, it's not, not even close. Not even close. It's going to be Chase. I d- I'm not in on George Pickens. I was not in no. on George Pickens before the draft. Uh, I Number one, I don't think he's that great of a prospect. I think he's physically, he's a beast. They're going to have to babysit that kid, man. And, and, he's but, kind but, of a But attitude-wise, he's a child. Him, him and, Ch- and Chase Claypool, honestly, in the same field is kind of toxic. But yeah. Uh, so how high could you see Chase Claypool and George Pickens rise in startups? I could see Chase Claypool jump back up and go start going uh, – Anywhere from the fourth to the sixth round if he has a really, really good year. With George Pickens, I don't see it. But if he, I mean, I think if he were to come out and have an elite rookie year, I mean, you could see his ceiling. He could jump really high, honestly. I don't think that will happen, but obviously he has that upside. Um, I wouldn't personally say that the writing is on the wall that Deontay Johnson is leaving Pittsburgh. I think the the chances are maybe higher than normal for a receiver that is looking for a second contract. I, I don't if if Pittsburgh does well this year with Kenny Pickett, I think that will say a lot for whether or not Deontay Johnson wants to stay because it's going to be up to him. I think Fryermuth could get a huge bump here. Yeah, honestly, that, that's I like, that's I like, true. I like Fryermuth here too. Yep. Um, who do you think does better? So yeah, who do you think does better? We think Chase Claypool. Obviously, I think Chase Claypool is a guy He's, people are short on because or are shorting, shorting because he had a bad year after a, a solid yeah. rookie year. But he's only twenty three. Like he's still settling into his own. He was playing with a concrete quarterback. I think he's got a lot. I think he's a better player than Pickens. Yeah, he's got the most talent. Yeah. Why do y'all ignore Mo, Mo Ali Cox's contract after he just got a three year extension? Or why do you know ignore Mo, Mo Ali Cox? Um. I th- and I kind of already answered this in the chat, but what is your so what's your answer to this? They've heard mine. Um, well, I don't Mo- I don't ignore Moali Cox as a uh, NFL tight end. He's great for what the Colts do. Have you seen what the Colts have done with tight ends in dynasty fantasy football production? That's exactly what I said in like the last many 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 years, really since Frank Reich was. I think. Coach, and I think outside looking in, like I, th- here, the reason they gave Mo Ali Cox the contract is number one because he's a decent red zone option. Number two because he can block, so he fits their scheme, their NFL scheme, really well. But I think we've just had a front row seat, and I think from the outside looking in, it's like, oh, he could be a good value. And I think we just know the situation too well to where we're like, no, yeah, it's, yeah, I, please. I, Sometimes we can be biased when we think a player on the Colts is better than maybe he actually is in Dynasty. Man, take our word for it, guys. You're you're not getting an incredible value out of Mo Ali Cox. If you need to plug him in to start here and there, I did last season and he put up eight to ten points, and he will only ever put up eight to ten points when he scores a touchdown. Yeah. I mean he's put up similar like, numbers the last two seasons, and I think that's it, what that's it's where keep he's gonna up. stay. Yeah. He's nothing nothing that was, special in That Tennessee. was Gilmas' question. So yeah. He 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 likes himself some Mo Ali yeah. Cox. But I was also I like me some Jelani Woods. He also had just drafted Mo Ali in one of our leagues, so he kind of does. Oh yeah, I, I, I players, did see that. So. Yeah. Uh, how would you guys assess risky job security with proven high ceiling production for QBs? This is a Jalen Hurts question. That's actually. A good I question. wonder who wrote this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's where it gets really hard because the ceiling. I think. I think, and I think this is why I have Jalen Hurts ranked as low as I do. I think you have to end up waiting the risk and waiting the ceiling and then and then scoring them. So for example, I think Jalen risk 
Well, Jay, Jay, I might as well call him Jalen Risk, but I think Jalen Hurts has more risk than he does ceiling opportunity. Obviously, his ceiling opportunity is to finish as a QB1 in Dynasty. We all know that. Probably not a top... What is he? Well, he was QB9 last year, I think. He's probably yeah. going to be a low-end quarterback one, yeah. and th- I think he has a lot of risk. I think he has a lot of risk in terms of job security, too. So how do, so how do we assess that? <sighs> It's really tough. I'm not gonna lie. It's really, really tough to 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 assess and to balance those two aspects of of dynasty values. But um, here here's the thing for me personally. Uh, when it comes to quarterback specifically, I'm almost always taking the proven high ceiling production over the risky job security. Really, personally, I I am proven over risk. Especially for guys, well, no, it's, now, it's, but it's the, a, the no, one it's, outlier it's, being Tom it, Brady. But it's I asking guess, about but. risky job security with the high ceiling production. So it's talking about guys that have both. Oh, oh, I see, I see. No, I know what you're I saying. See. I got agree it, got with it, you, but it. yeah, that's. But that's the thing is there are a lot of other QBs that you could get that have that ceiling that have that ceiling that are way less risky than Hertz. So I don't know why you would ever invest in a highly risky asset where you don't know what his situation is going to be in three years unless you're getting him for a very good value and more often than not that's that's not going to happen because Jalen Hurts is like the definition of of what he's saying this is a Jalen Hurts question where Jalen Hurts is going is not where I'm taking him I'm never risking it there and I don't and I think it's just going to end up being personal opinion and I think either way it's going to be a gamble if you're gambling that he's going to keep his job I mean with Jalen Hurts that's a gamble it really is I mean that is a serious gamble because I honestly don't think he ends up doing it but if he does it is so it's a very high risk but it's very high reward because he has such a high ceiling that if he steps up and if he gets that long-term contract with the Eagles you hit I mean if Jalen Hurts produces like this for a long time yeah you hit here, the, my argument is and will be with Jalen Hurts and um, also pertaining to the Aaron Rodgers discussion, I do not think Jalen Hurts will maintain his level of play. I don't think he will be a long-term starter in the NFL. I I, I don't think that's a necessarily hot take, but I know a lot of people disagree. So, um, How to get team in your home league to be more open to trading or less tied to players on their team that they drafted? <laughs> how, do you, how, do you, how do you get... I don't know. Your your fellow players in a dynasty league to be more active. Well, I think they just don't want to trade though. I think that's what he's asking. Which Yeah, honestly, that's like, what I'm saying. To I, get more I don't know, let them lose. There yeah, I mean sometimes you just there's it, it depends on the people that are in there. I there are leagues that I'm in where it's pretty it's pretty dead during the off season. I mean, this is why we're podcasting. <laughs> right. There's gonna be those dead months where not many trades are gonna happen. That's just that's just how it is. And if they're unwilling to trade their assets, even like during the season when you think they need to push or you think they need to rebuild, honestly, A, that league is either going to fall apart or B, they're going to find out real fast that they made a mistake and they're going to start having to change what they're doing because they, you just can't ride. You can't ride with your same assets every single year until they die out. Yeah, it's but, just not going to happen. But if none of but if none of his league mates are trading, then he's also stuck just riding out all of his assets. That's true. So, which which makes me question the the longevity of, of that the league. league. Yeah, I think that's my answer too. Yeah. But, so choose well who you have in your. But dynasty honestly, if leagues. you have if you have half the people that are you know not trading and half people that are trade with people that do, and you'll end up in your half. But your team especially will end up outperforming yep. those teams on it'll time. get it'll turn into a top heavy league yes for but. sure so 
uh, I'd get new league mates. That's probably the easiest solution because you're not going to change people's mind right. and things like that. So that's a tough situation to be in, though. But we're lucky to have um, enough good dynasty domain leagues. We're kind of spoiled. We have a lot of good league mates, and um, we are probably not going to do a ton more leagues. So if you are interested in getting in a league, go to dynastydomain.com. We've got a league sign up there. Um, I think that's going to wrap up our, our mailbag questions today. We've gone quite a while, but we got to cover a pretty wide range of topics here. And ton of I, stuff. I love the strategy questions. I really, really love talking dynasty strategy. We'll do some more episodes on that um in the coming weeks leading up to the season because training camp starts this week dude it's actually happening Woo, finally it's actually i, I mean i'm getting we're like, going I'm man i'm getting excited it's like 50 days i think until yeah. that thursday night game so oh. we're getting close but we're gonna have all the content for you as we lead up to the season and as we get into the season um it's gonna want to be a place that it's gonna be a place that you're gonna want to be because we're gonna have it all here for you we're gonna lay it out uh, we're really, really excited. So, And Simon will be back next week, so that'll be fun too because then it'll be all three of us back arguing about football again. Back together again. All right. Uh, we have our Locals page. If you're interested in any of our content, be sure to check that out. We are on Twitter at the Dynasty Domain. You can check us out there. We like to get out on Twitter. Uh, we're still finishing up our Scott Fishbowl draft, and we'll give you the full roster next week. Uh, we'll break it down and before we get into next week's episode content just to tell you how we're doing and things like that. Um, but like I said, DynastyDomain.com if you have uh, any interest in anything else that we have to offer. As always, thank you guys for listening. This has been Dynasty Domain. Dynasty Domain.